Previously on Saratoga Lights. Avit was a fine deputy. Damn tragedy what happened. Old Scratch wants to see you. Now why don't you tell me who killed my husband? Listen to me. I will get us out of this, but we just need to go now. Are you about to do something that Avit wouldn't want you to do? I reckon he'll slaughter everyone he finds out in these woods. It's nothing Avid himself wouldn't do. Saratoga Lights, Season 2, Episode 8, Hold On Magnolia. Bradford watches the smoke rise from the smoldering campfire as William and Lucas sleep soundly across from him along the banks of the San Gabriel River. It's been hours since he's seen a vision of Trudy, the woman he met in the woods that fateful night which up until now had been guideposts along this journey, assuring him that his direction was true. For days he has hiked through the hill country towards some unseen destination, driven by the promise of fortune and fame in some form or another, despite the holes worn through his boots and the dwindling supply of rations. Along every turn, Trudy blazed a trail for him to follow towards a promised oasis, Except now, he's began to fear that there is no water nor relief to be found at his destination. Only a mirage conjured by his weary, weathered mind. As these doubts start to overtake his mind, he feels a chill in the air, and he knows that she's finally nearby again. Across the river, he sees Trudy looking at him with her black, empty eyes. She motions suggestively, for him to follow her as she wanders into the woods. Bradford dutifully gets up and wades through the knee-high water to the other bank, following her path to the tree line. He pushes away the brush and branches and overgrowth from the last few hundred years and finds Trudy waiting for him in a clearing. Glad you could make it. Where's your boss? He's a very, uh, private individual. Bullshit! We had a deal, and I fulfilled my end. <laughs> you cut one little piggy's throat and think that's enough for everlasting life? I'll cut hundreds of throats, starting with yours. <laughs> I've seen your knife. It won't penetrate much of anything. What's all the rigmarole about? Why'd you have me follow you out here? I was like you once. So sure of myself and the world that I lived in. But then my husband got sick. Her mouth remained shut, but the words continued to fill Bradford's ears. I invited a young preacher and his wife over to pray for Richard, but it was too late. Richard was gone. Bradford hears the words all around him as if the trees that comprise the boundaries of the clearing are singing to him like a Greek chorus. He looks around, seeking some rational explanation for the source of the voices that surround him, 
but only finds Shruti in front of him, mouth sealed. This must be another vision. And in my grief, in my despair, someone visited me and offered me hope. So you shed blood? I did what Old Scratch required of me. William wakes from his sleep and finds himself wrapped in fresh white linen in a room adorned with heirlooms and framed photographs that are not his own. Next to him rests a rosary and a revolver. Why be an outlaw? He looks over and sees Sarah leaning against the doorframe. What? You can't protect him out here. I'm doing the best I can. Time to go, Billy. Don't stop. Just run. William's eyes open again, this time to be met with the morning Texas sun nearly blinding him instead of the angelic figure of his former lover. He looks around and finds himself along the banks of the San Gabriel River once again. His brother Lucas is snoring next to him. He looks over across the long extinguished campfire and sees a blanket where Bradford once laid, now vacant. Lucas, get up. What? Bradford's gone, let's go. Lucas gets up and grabs the last of the canned beans for his satchel. Beans is what we got, he thinks to himself, while packing for the journey ahead. His back is to William, who's kneeling down looking through the available gear. They need to travel lightly and be quick about it, bringing only the essentials. Where'd he go? I don't know, but it's the only time he's left this alone. I don't think we'll get another chance. Took all the ammo. I've got a clip. That'll have to do. Let's go. William stands and turns and finds himself inches away from the barrel of a gun, pointed squarely at his head. He looks past the weapon and sees a young woman wearing an ill-fitting service uniform, clearly not her own, with her finger resting firmly on the trigger. Lucas turns around and sees the woman with a gun to his brother's head. He grabs his machine gun and stands trying to get a clear shot of her. But the woman smartly keeps William between them as a shield, his arms raised in submission. Maggie got the drop on him. Are you the Pistol Brothers? I'm William. This, this is my brother Lucas. Ma'am? My name is Maggie Sewell. You murdered the love of my life. No! Wrong. No, ma'am. Not us. You cut his throat and left him to bleed out like an animal. We didn't do that! Bradford Molina, he's the one that did those things! I've never heard of a Bradford Molina. I have, however, heard of the Pistol Brothers. I know this may be hard for you to believe, but we did not kill your husband. Alright, the man who did should get back here any minute, and honestly, we don't... we don't want to be around here when he does. He's crazy! Now, you're welcome to, to wait around for him to return, but he is not. The conversating type when it comes to these matters. I'm not some fool swayed easily by smooth talk. Oh, for Pete's sake, lady. This isn't smooth talk. This is, we're getting the hell out of here before the devil returns. Talk. <laughs> A stinging sensation radiates through Maggie's left eye as the body of William falls on the ground in front of her. The remnants of his face, mostly painted onto hers, like a morbid Jackson Pollock piece. She blinks rapidly. As her vision blurs, Maggie fishes a foreign object out of her eye. A sharp, blood-stained fragment of William's skull. 
Lucas, shocked, looks across the river and desperately tries to find the source of the gunshot, but he meets a similar fate as his brother. Another shot rings out across the San Gabriel as Lucas is laying down next to William. Bradford walks out of the woods and across the river back to the campsite, dismissively kicking the corpse as he pulls the last can of beans from Lucas's satchel. Paying no mind to Maggie in her hastily chosen place of hiding, Bradford simply pops a small tin open with his hunting knife and tries to get a fire going for breakfast. Maggie stands and aims her gun at the man crouched before her. Who are you? My name is Maggie Sewell. You murdered the love of my life. Bradford offers no reaction, just continues to stoke the growing fire for his beans. Maggie takes a cautious step towards him, stumbling over the uneven ground and trying to adjust to the lack of depth perception. She takes another step, but before firmly planting it on the ground before her, Bradford spins from his crash position with his gun drawn and shoots Maggie in her thigh. <laughs> Maggie gasps in pain when she hits the ground, trying to catch her breath as the wind gets knocked out of her. The gun. She frantically runs her hand over the ground on either side of her, searching for the weapon. This is a nice piece. Maggie looks up at the voice and sees Bradford standing above her, examining Avid's gun with an approving nod before tucking it into the back of his pants. Magnolia. I do believe I remember you from that picture he carried. Only Avit called me that. Certainly a murderous villain such as yourself wouldn't be afforded the same level of familiarity. That photograph doesn't do you justice, my dear Magnolia. I said not to call me that! She yells with a fury that reverberates off the banks for miles, landing on the ears of various woodland creatures but not much else. Their solitude is deafening to her. She throws her arms behind and heaves her torso in the same direction, dragging herself as best she can, her shattered leg oozing out blood with each stuttered start and stop as she tries to put distance between herself and her attacker. Bradford just keeps pace with her, like a hyena stalking a wounded gazelle, allowing her to exhaust her physical and mental fortitude before he goes in for the kill. These are violent times, Magnolia. Violent times indeed. I consider myself well-versed in how the world works, but let me tell you, I've seen some ungodly shit these past few days. Things that make you question the very basis of your sanity. Have you ever been certain, Magnolia? So certain that you appear to everyone around you to be a madman? Wholly fixated on this one intangible idea? Do not call me that. My name is Maggie Sewell. I came here to see to your destruction. I've been wandering all over this state for most of my life, and you know the one thing I've learned. The one thing I can hold up as certainty, an indisputable fact, even in the face of all this, it's that if you want something, you have to be ready to take it when the opportunity presents itself. Bradford leans down and wraps his hand around her injured thigh, squeezing the wound and forcing a greater expulsion of blood. She screams in an attempt to cope with the pain, though it offers little comfort or relief. Forcibly, he drags Maggie towards him and pins her to the ground as he straddles her. He undoes his belt. 
Maggie reaches for something, anything, as Bradford caresses her cheek with the blade of his knife. Did he call you Magnolia when he made love to you? Something catches his eye. He looks up from Maggie's blood-stained face and sees Trudy about a hundred yards up from him. Bradford motions to the carnage at the campsite. Is this enough blood for you? Maggie looks to where Bradford is calling out, but doesn't see anyone or anything. Okay, knife-wielding rapist with imaginary friends. Great job, Maggie. She reaches again with her right hand, struggling under Bradford, and finally wraps her fingers around a rock roughly the size of a baseball. Bradford leans back down over Maggie and gives her his patented grin. Maggie returns a smile as she smashes the rock into the side of his head. Blood paints the sagebrush in another violent ode to Jackson Pollock. Bradford yells and rolls off his victim, thrown by the momentum of Maggie's strike as it creates a sizable gash on his temple. Maggie manages to grab Avid's gun that Bradford had previously tucked in the back of his pants for safekeeping and shoots him in the dick. She climbs atop Bradford and plunges his own hunting knife into his neck with both hands, burying the handle into his flesh. Blood spews from his mouth as he tries to grab it, but his coordination isn't what it used to be. Is this enough blood for you? Maggie falls back onto the ground as the adrenaline wears off. The commotion and carnage gives way to the calming sound of the river as she loses consciousness. Minutes pass, hours even. The stillness and tranquility of the scene is disrupted by Sheriff Hartigan, incredulous at what lay before him. Multiple bodies flanked by pools of blood running through tiny tributaries and emptying into the San Gabriel River on his right. In the midst of the mayhem, he sees Maggie laying on her back, unresponsive. Sweet Jesus, Maggie! Hartigan approaches in his pressed white shirt and ten-gallon hat. Looking a bit squeamish, but gun-drawn nonetheless. It's... it's like a goddamn slaughterhouse out here. He kneels next to Maggie and tries to assess her vitals before coming to the only diagnosis he feels qualified to make. Lots of blood. Hardigan rips a sleeve from his shirt and ties off the wound on her leg. LaFleur, come back. He waits for the voice of Sheriff LaFleur to cut through the radio but suddenly is aware that someone is standing behind him. He spins around and sees Trudy clad in black. Now, normally Hardigan would welcome the company of a young lady, but this situation is giving him pause. Number one, he's fairly certain she wasn't there when he first arrived at the scene. Number two, her eyes are black, soulless voids that aren't very inviting, to say the least. Hardigan stumbles back and clumsily pulls his gun out, trying to compose himself. He's never seen a demon before, and is having a hell of a time processing what he's seeing. Good Lord Almighty. (laughs) Tell that preacher I'll be seeing him soon. This was in Texas. Saratoga Lights is written and directed by Randall LaRue. Audio recording and engineering by Matthew David Rudd. Music by Randy Reynolds. This episode featured the voice talents of Jordan Merritt, Matt Fitzgerald, Valerie 
Rose Lohman, Brian Villalobos, Freddie Hines, John Nichols, and Matthew David Rudd. Until next time. Welcome, weary traveler. You have found shelter from the storm in KTX 93.9. Bringing you music that makes your brother say amen. I was recently out around San Gabriel Way, stuck somewhere between sleeping and waking. Not a storm in sight. As the sun was shining on my face, I held my hand up to shield those bright rays. And lo and behold, my fingers looked like that of an iridescent being. Some elevated spirit moving above this mortal plane. And as I floated above myself, I moved towards the southern fork and heard this song for the first time lilting through the air on the wings of a red hawk. He called me over, gave me the wisdom of the worlds, and sent me further on my travels. And I bring it to you here now, friends. Can I get an amen? Let's see. How about we hear that gospel according to Drifting Luke on KTX? They said don't touch her. She's already got her boy back in Texas a lot older than you Said I may be young But I'm a good preacher's son And besides I come from Texas too And when I saw you walk by Well I couldn't help it My spirit told me that you were the one so Della Rosa, my dear, won't you give me an ear? Do you want to go kiss me sometime? I fell under your spell, but I could never tell which way you were going. You kiss me and then say we were just friends and confusion was growing. Texas boy Kept you fickle and coy And just never knowing So Della Rosa, my dear I gave you a year And you figured it out in Texas and all these kids with us and I'm getting old Something came to my mind of the long ago time so I traveled the road I kept wondering why if I really was that guy for you what was that back and forth love all about Della Rosa, my dear, you gave me a year and I 